Hello world, welcome to the Political Worldview podcast, March 28th, 2019, the Mueller Reports, but to whom edition. I'm Adam Quinn, Senior Lecturer in International Politics at the Political Science and International Studies Department of the University of Birmingham in England. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Scott Lucas, a Professor of International Politics and Editor of News and Commentary site EA Worldview. How are you doing, Scott? Ah, oh, sun shining. We live in Brexit Britain. And Donald Trump's still president. Make of that what you will. The sun is shining out there. I, I took a picture of the campus, the recently almost finished Green Heart, put it on Facebook earlier today. I had people like making comments on like asking if it was real or an artist's impression, literally, because the weather is setting off our architecture so delightfully this morning. You've just been to Dublin. Uh, I am going to Surrey uh, once we get out of here to do a talk about a thing. So seizing on this moment of simultaneous co-presence uh, in the Muirhead Tower, we're going to have have a bilateral uh, chat to take stock of the end of the so-called Russia investigation in the United States with the filing of a final report by Special Counsel Robert Mueller to the Justice Department. Um, now, regular listeners will be familiar with this story from our previous discussions of it, including an episode back in December uh, when we really got uh, into the weeds of various strands of um, of this, including the president, his campaign, his associates, etc. But it's a constant struggle, uh, as, as we've been noting in preparation for this, mm-hmm. that although this story is like very prominent and rolling, like with each installment of it, you just need an ever deeper bench of context to have any clue like what exactly this is all about. So mm-hmm. like simultaneously everyone feels like they know everything but also <laughs> the level of confusion is high and if you go even slightly off road you can find yourself in impenetrable um forests before too long so i'm going to do a slightly longer introduction than usual just to like do two things first of all make sure everyone knows uh, what the Mueller report like was even about supposed to be and then what exactly it is that has happened in the last uh, few days and then we'll we'll have some back and forth where we we um take each other's temperature uh, on what we think these latest findings mean so um To recap the basic history initially, during the 2016 presidential campaign in the United States, um, it came to the attention of the FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation, um, clues in the name, uh, they're a federal body that investigates, and they're both a law enforcement and a counterintelligence organization. That's perhaps important to some of what we're going to come to later. Um, it came to their attention that Russia was engaged in a campaign, the government of Russia, engaged in a campaign of active measures to interfere in that election. Their initial aim uh, was to stoke divisions between Americans for the purpose of weakening, I guess, a major G- political rival. Uh, But but as the campaign proceeded, uh, it appeared that that objective expanded to include trying to boost the fortunes of the Trump campaign specifically. Uh, The FBI therefore opened an investigation, uh, one dimension of which was contacts between Russian intelligence um, or folks working on their behalf, because such is the way with intelligence that one doesn't always, Mm. you know, uh, put on the permanent payroll, uh, those who perform tasks for one and staff or advisors on the Trump campaign um, in and around it. Because, again, I guess there's a kind of degree of formality and informality uh, that's perhaps relevant there. Prominent among those was General Mike Flynn, uh, who became 
President Trump's national security advisor after he took office in 2017, uh, but was forced to resign a month later after it was revealed that he'd had secret communications with the Russian ambassador about sanctions relief uh, and then lied about it uh, when he was asked. Now, President Trump uh, was vocally and publicly enraged by all of this since it seemed to undermine the legitimacy of his election victory, this talk that the Russians had been somehow involved in it. He denied the Russian interference had taken place and then, you know, because it's good to have defense in depth, uh, said that if it did take place, that there had not been any collusion with, with his campaign. Things came to a head in May 2017. That's like about five months into Trump's presidency, four months into Trump's presidency, when the president fired uh, FBI director James Comey after uh, he had, according to Comey, tried and failed to pressure him into ending that investigation on in, into Michael Flynn. He's a good guy. Let him go, I think, was the or let it go was the uh, the, the phrase that, that Comey uh, purported had been used. Uh, that led to pushback from Congress, uh, the legislature and the remaining FBI leadership, uh, which persuaded the Justice Department to appoint Robert Mueller, a widely respected former FBI director as special counsel to conduct a full and independent investigation into Russian interference and possible collusion. So essentially to take up what had been going on that it was at least alleged President Trump was trying to shut down and put it in the hands of someone more independent than your average FBI investigator to look into it. Now the journey since then uh, has been an eventful one uh, with many, many media reports coming forth about suspicious contacts between Trump associates and Russians, uh, and a number of indictments uh, over the last uh, few months detailing misdeeds and in some cases filing criminal charges against individuals. Uh, The majority were Russian operatives uh, beyond the reach of the United States, but also Flynn, um, who we've just mentioned, uh, Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, uh, junior campaign advisor George Papadopoulos, uh, and shady trickster Roger Stone, who wasn't involved in the campaign formally, but who was like around, um, as he has been indeed for many Republican campaigns in, in, in the past. Uh, many wondered if this, this having all unfolded over several months, when the report was filed, it would include recommendations to charge more individuals, maybe including people like the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, or for the people who really wanted to go big or go home, uh, the president uh, himself. So this week, the report came in to the Justice Department, and it did not uh, say that. It did not recommend that those further charges uh, should, should be made. There were no more, no new indictments. What exactly it did say is, uh, uh, is less than 100% clear, I think we might say, because we've not seen the report, uh, nor has Congress. Uh, one of the few people who has seen it is Attorney General uh, William Barr, the head of the Justice Department, recently appointed by the president. Uh, Barr issued a four-page summary of the findings in the Mueller report. The most important information uh, contained in that was, I guess, three things. First of all, the Russian interference operation did happen. It did include the illegal hacking of email accounts belonging to the Democratic National Committee and Clinton campaign manager John Podesta and dissemination of embarrassing material thus acquired uh, via the WikiLeaks website. We kind of knew that from indictments before, but it's also confirmed now as in the report. Uh, Second, the investigation, and now I begin to quote because Barr 
very sparingly quotes directly from Muller in the report. There's not a great deal of Muller's voice in this summary. Uh, but one thing that is a direct quote is that the investigation, quote, did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. So that got reported as a finding that the, there had been no collusion. Uh, and we'll get to that. Which is, urge, which urge, is a false but we, we will get to that urgently. Mm-hmm. Um, And then thirdly, on the question of whether the president had committed obstruction of justice in trying to block the investigation, Barr said that Mueller did not make a recommendation on bringing charges. Um, He did not make a – I think the phrase was traditional prosecutorial uh, recommendation. But rather he set out the arguments on both sides, uh, saying that the case involved difficult judgments uh, while noting explicitly uh, that the investigation and this report did not exonerate uh, Trump. Uh, those, they actually used the, those words. The decision having been left unmade, uh, Attorney General Barr then opted to make it, uh, concluding, or at least to assert that he was in a position to make it, maybe we'll get to that too, uh, concluding that no case should be brought uh, because the evidentiary bar for likely conviction uh, had not been cleared and also because in the absence of proof of an underlying crime, if there is no conspiracy that's been proven, then uh, uh, proving intent to obstruct justice to prevent that from coming to light uh, couldn't plausibly be demonstrated either. So President Trump and his aides and supporters in Congress and the conservative media obviously immediately proclaimed that he had been totally exonerated the liberal Twitter sphere uh, and cable news bubble audibly deflated, uh, having expected damning revelations and criminal charges. Uh, Democrats in Congress uh, reacted cautiously. Uh, the news of no proven collusion or charges seemed to vindicate, some might say, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's skepticism uh, about efforts to impeach the president. But they also did express their determination to get hold of Mueller's full report, uh, which likely contains facts far less flattering uh, to the administration than, than Barr's summary. Okay, so that's, I've been banging on for a long time there, but I think that's probably necessary to save us um, quite a bit of, of back and forth and also the possibility that you don't want to be like Donald Trump in one of the presidential debates where you're like pulling references to people and things in from, uh, in from you know, half-remembered cable news items uh, that the actual listening audience like, is not familiar with. So I wanted to put all that on the table so we all uh, have at least a shared grounding in facts. So let's Let's, let's go to the the moment of publication and the reaction to that publication and and like the expectations dimension here to begin with Scott um I feel like the the initial narrative that has been put on this is that everybody because the media had been all telling them to was expecting that this report was going to recommend uh, a raft of criminal charges against a lot of people, probably including the president, and it would be followed by a by, by a, a rapid move to impeach the president who had been found to have done terrible things wrong. And that hasn't happened. And consequently, everyone who has been uh, everyone who has been Predicting that should feel really, really bad about themselves. Everyone who has been believing that when they were told feels very disappointed. And everyone who works for the presidential administration or who supports the Republican Party uh, is legitimately outraged uh, that they have been subjected to this cloud, this immobilizing cloud of suspicion uh, for which there was no basis. Do you think that that, that narrative uh, has merit? Uh, do you think that we were 
led to expect something bigger than has actually resulted here? Well, no, if some folks constructed that, they were being a bit separated from reality. I mean, the sensible folks would not have expected the report to come in and in urge indictments against Trump and his inner circle for two reasons. One is, is that Mueller's team had let it be known through contacts uh, and indeed had said a few weeks ago to Trump's own people, reiterated that Mueller had decided you cannot indict a sitting president. That was known. In terms of indicting Trump Jr. and others, it's a fundamental mystery because most of the uh, indictments or most of the prosecutions have not come from Mueller himself. What Mueller does is, is Mueller hands off to federal and state prosecutors, for example, in the case of Paul Manafort. Mm -hmm. And that's who makes the prosecution. And it's important to note that there are 12 federal and state prosecutions against Trump, the Trump Organization, the Trump Foundation, the Trump Inaugural Committee, mm -hmm. and that could, and we must say could, embroil the president and his family. Right. True so, enough. Although, I mean, the, the things that were handed off tended to be things that did not pertain directly to the Russia issue, right? So Michael Cohen, for example, got handed off to New York because that was that essentially turned out to be an investigation into campaign finance. Yeah. Manafort got handed off a little bit because it was an investigation into his financial yeah. affairs and his reporting on his yeah. financial affairs, etc. So whereas the, the issue here seems to be that with regard to the core man mandate of the no. Mueller investigation, which is, did anybody do anything wrong vis-a-vis -vis a criminal conspiracy to collude with Russian intelligence no. officers, that there's no there there in, but, in, in that case? But, that, but that's not, and you actually touched on your start, that's a misread again of, Mon, of Mueller's remit as he perceived it. First and foremost, Mueller's remit is as a counterintelligence investigation, mm -hmm. and that is to find out whether the Russians interfered and then who was involved with that now if you find someone was involved with the russian interference such as a roger stone the unofficial trump advisor then you can be in a grand jury you impanel it and then you proceed mm -hmm. i say that first of all just to as, as an introduction to three points that i think are essential here and the first two have to do with what attorney general Barr did which is a political spin that proved to be effective and that if there was a, quote, liberal failure, if you have to use that term, the liberal failure was getting taken in by Barr. The first is, is that Barr carefully, as you read out, said that Mueller reported, and he did quote this one line, said that it did not establish that the Trump campaign had conspired or coordinated with the Russians. Now, there's a very important distinction here, and that is, is that the crime is that conspiracy is a crime, is a chargeable crime. So the bar to establish conspiracy is quite high, uh, especially given, as we noted, that Mueller, in some cases, has chosen to hand off that decision to prosecutors. Mm. Uh, the bar for collusion is not a criminal standard. Which is not a legal term. It's not a legal Which term. Because there's a kind of funniness about that, that all the way through this process, I feel like we have been being – incessantly reminded by those in the conservative space yeah. that collusion is not a crime and is a meaningless concept. And now the day this report comes out, there's been an immediate 180-degree pivot to uh, saying that uh, the legal standard for collusion, this thing for which there cannot be a legal mm. standard if it's not a crime, uh, uh, has not been reached, which mm. is – I don't know, suggestive of a degree of jujitsu in, in how this argument is being had. Exactly. 
Exactly. And you and I have pointed out that collusion refers to whether there was knowledge of the Russian activities, whether there was encouragement of the Russian activities, and we can restate some of the evidence for that. And it may well be, we do not know, it may well be that the Mueller report sets out evidence of that type of collusion, but then stops short of saying this is a conspiracy and that this was all planned between the Russians and the Trump campaign. But what Mar- what Barr does, and let's remind ourselves that Barr was brought in, confirmed last month as attorney general, and he was brought in really to give Trump cover. We knew that was going to be what he did. Well, because he had – his backstory is strange. Like he, he was the uh, attorney general before, like way back in the George H.W. Bush administration in the late 80s, early 90s um, and you know, has a backstory with making arguments about Iran-Contra and presidential power that we don't need to reopen here. But he then apparently unsolicitedly and out of the blue – like. Decades after he'd last held public office, sent a memo to the Trump administration explaining in detail why it was basically as a matter of constitutional law impossible or should be for the president to be charged with uh, obstruction of justice when the basis of that accusation was him doing things that are essentially within his constitutional powers like firing uh, members of the FBI and whatnot. So he then became – he came onto the radar as a nominee for the attorney general and it then emerged that he had probably come onto that radar because he had put himself on it by proactively telling the administration, hey, uh, <laughs> I am like, – here is a really hardcore set of arguments that I personally believe in very strongly about why most of the things that might be coming away uh, legally can't touch you. Exactly. And he had denounced the Mueller investigation. He'd gone beyond that question about Trump being Oh, yes. He had, he had said that the, 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 the obstruction of justice component of that investigation shouldn't exist. Exactly. So we have, first of all, that he plays a sleight of hand here to refer to coordination and conspiracy, but not collusion. And then secondly, on obstruction of justice, says – and you notice he didn't say there was – and I actually have to go back and correct something I wrote this morning. You notice he didn't say that Mueller found there was evidence on both sides regarding whether or not Trump committed obstruction of justice. He said there were arguments mm-hmm. on both sides. The implication being, and we have to see the report, is that there is evidence of obstruction of justice, but whether or not it was substantial enough to constitute a prosecutable crime. Mm-hmm. And here I do think, this is where I do think Mueller doesn't hand off to federal and state prosecutors. This is because it is his own investigation, which arguably is being obstructed. Mm-hmm. This is where he could have brought a criminal charge. But I think Robert Mueller hasn't said a word since day one, since he was appointed. Mm-hmm. But one could suggest that Robert Mueller, being a straight-down-the-line public servant, thought it was the decision of the head of the Justice Department or perhaps even the House Judiciary Committee mm-hmm. to decide whether or not charges should be laid. And so he presents this to Barr. And then Barr quashes it. Well, that's it. I mean, Ben Benjamin Wittes, who's been like covering this in in, in some detail in Lawfare and for, for a few mm. other publications, like he says, there's two possibilities. He thinks like one is that Mueller intended to defer to the Attorney General on this. The other is that Mueller intended to put the ball into Congress's court because if your view is that, like, essentially the question of whether or not this obstruction of justice, either like, both whether it is obstruction and whether if it is, it can be charged and punished when the guilty party is, mm-hmm. is, is the president, is too too complex, too open to interpretation and too inherently political for some prosecutor in some office to decide. It really 
it's in the turf where only Congress exercising its ultimate power to to discipline and if ultimately it comes to it, remove from office the president, only they can really do this. So perhaps he set this stuff out for them to read it. And then Barr has essentially like intercepted the ball uh, and created new political facts on the ground that make it more difficult for Congress to, to consider in a dispassionate way what their response ought to be by putting this this suggestion that it's impossible to even consider uh, uh, holding Trump accountable uh, on the table. Or let Mueller's team know that Barr is going to try to block, but they can anticipate that, especially in the House, the Democrats are going to insist on seeing the report and then take it up there. Anyway, those are the first two things. One is collusion, the second is obstruction of justice. But then the third thing, which is the broader thing, which is what you had asked about is people getting sucked into the narrative. And here, I think there's an important backstory on the political side, and that is for months, and this isn't a secret to anyone out there, the tactics of the Trump administration, not just Donald Trump on Twitter, but his lawyers such as Rudy Giuliani, his political allies in Congress, his media outlets, effective media outlets like Fox, were to trash the investigation by saying that Mueller was illegitimate, that his team were illegitimate, that the FBI was illegitimate, that some in the Justice Department were illegitimate. We could go well, through. Well, that anything was, that was potentially going to cause damage to the president was illegitimate, exactly. almost ipso facto. And, it, and this had a corrosive effect because unless you can try to get to grips with the facts of what's going on, what you get in day in, day out is this witch hunt hoax. And I can remember that a few days before the report came out, CNN did a poll because I was asked about it. It said... 51%, a majority still believed that something hinky had gone on and that Mueller was right to investigate. But at the same time, they held in their head, 51% said, oh, it's a witch hunt. Mm. Now, the holding of the idea that something went wrong, but it was a witch hunt, really pointed to the fact, not that Donald Trump had cleared himself, but he'd caused confusion. And what happens is, is that instead of asking some very sensible questions, because remember, it was on Friday that Mueller submitted the report, Barr drops the letter on a Sunday night or Sunday afternoon, U.S. time. It's good to know that he's so committed to his work that he's willing to, to work weekends when required. I, I, I admire, especially a man of his age. I admire that. But someone, <laughs> but someone who could issue a report within 48 hours is going to miss the April 2nd deadline, which is more than a week away, to hand over the report to Congress. Mm -hmm. So he was very diligent on the first task. Not so much on the second. We can pick that up in a minute. Anyway, media gets this on Sunday afternoon. And the media, instead of saying, first of all, this is not the Mueller report. This is an attorney general presenting the Mueller report. Because mm -hmm. a lot of outlets falsely said the Mueller report has found. Secondly, instead of going through that language that you and I have discussed, mm -hmm. because a lot of media outlets falsely said, no collusion. Well, well I, yeah, I mean, I was I got right up on my high horse about this uh, on social media mm -hmm. because I did think that you know there was some really bad framing of the initial reports of this on exactly those two points you mentioned mm -hmm. that people that there was no indication from many of the headlines and even many of the subheadlines that you were reading that that these reports were based on anything other than the Mueller report itself, whereas only a vanishingly small proportion of the text in this document is actually quoting the Mueller report. Right. Now, I am assuming that Attorney General Barr 
like being aware that it's likely that quite a bit of this report will ultimately pub- be published is not 180 degrees to the truth lying about what's in it. But if you're only going to quote a tiny amount of it, it's possible to make that very, very favorable. Mm-hmm. So part of it was just not clarifying that you're, you're talking about someone who has a strong vested interest in maximally favoring the president in his presentation of this is the person who's doing it. And then secondly, in particular on that charge of collusion, which is an enormously important distinction that I really don't think you need to be a lawyer to understand between saying that you did not establish that something is true, where establish means prove to the standard where you would bring a criminal charge, versus that you have established that it is not true in the sense that you have looked into it and there is lots of contradictory evidence that says that this probably or definitely didn't happen. And a lot of the, a lot of the stories that I read basically were saying that the report had found that there was no collusion, which I think, as a matter of English grammar, makes it sound like you have dispelled the false perception that there might have been collusion because the facts don't, the facts are incompatible with that. Whereas what it actually sounds to me much more likely that it says is that there is a a wide range of factual information that might well lend itself to the interpretation there was collusion, but that that does not clear the bar to actually uh, conclude it definitely happened and that uh, even if you think about balance of probabilities it happened, that you can't initiate any kind of further charges because you don't think you'll, you'll, you'll win in court. Now, that's just... That's basic media stuff, surely. Like if someone if someone is accused of a wide range of crimes, like if some if someone has uh, uh, you know is, is accused of uh, twenty murders or something, and like there's evidence like all over the place about the fact that they did it, but the jury verdict comes in and it says ah you know for whatever reason like fruit of the poison tree or um, you know the the policeman didn't knock the right way when he came with like or, or you know he just testified the right way and the the lawyers didn't do well. Like if someone is not convicted, I don't feel like the way that gets reported is to say that it's been demonstrated that this person didn't commit any crimes. I feel that what you report is they have been found uh, found not guilty in a, in a context where that really clearly is understood to mean you couldn't clear the burden of reasonable doubt. Exactly. But, and I this comes back to your initial question, I don't think it was as much that people had expected the indictments to be laid down. And that's why you have this report. I think it's because they were on the, I think media was on the defensive. And, and I think I'm referring to media that has really tried to cover the story. But they're on the defensive because if they raise the questions immediately about Barr's letter, you know that Trump and his folks are going to come in and they're going to pile in and say, this is a media conspiracy. This is an example of the witch hunt mm. which goes on. And especially the New York Times. The New York Times was really, really poor in the initial reaction. They've tried to modify it since then. But then what complements that is, is that on the other side, the president's camp are absolutely ready to exaggerate this and to distort what has happened. Trump himself, of course, exoneration. Well, the president came out and like... The president came out and said that this report is such classic Trump. He said, this has totally exonerated me. Like, of the tiny number of words that are actually quoted from the Mueller report in Barr's four-page summary, like, there must like, there must be fewer than 100 words there. Included among those words is a direct statement that this does not exonerate the president. But in that way, it's, it's, it's like Trump, it's, his relationship to the truth is like, 
if he hears a direct statement of something, he's more likely to say the opposite of that than he is to just find some like lawyerly way to step around it. So like he he just completely took and ran with uh, with the cover that he'd been given. Yeah, but I'm not sure this it was just simply Trump's thought bubble that you described. I think this may have been tactically, which is send him out there to say this because you try to alter the reality. And then when you I or anybody else comes back and says, wait a minute, the report says this. No, 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 no. Total exoneration. Rudy Giuliani this morning, the world's either worst or best lawyer, depending on whether you're talking about actually being legally correct or spinning, has put out photographs of himself celebrating with other Trump lawyers and saying, this is when we found out that Trump was exonerated. Yeah. You know, like using the term. And so... It, and what the count, what they're counting on, what the Trump camp counts on is, again, confusion, chaos, and so on. And this might move us on to further question is, is that the longer the report does not appear, the longer that they keep it buried or that they release only a favorable part of it, the more they can create the false narrative of exoneration. And then you have to kick back against that if, if we ever do pick up the report in a substantial portion. Right. Now, so, I mean, you know, I feel like since this thing broke, I have been told that everybody or at least lots of people were saying uh, that Trump is going to get impeached. Trump is going to go to get go to jail. I feel like I've been tacitly been like being told that I that, that I said that. I think you may have come closer. You may have sailed closer to telling people, Scott, that that, that that's true. But although I have like I have been following this inquiry very closely, I've been sharing a lot of the updates about it. I've been directing people's attention to it because I think it's very important. But I don't think I thought that. I don't think I I thought that this thing, uh, that this report was going to come in and it was going to say unequivocally criminal offenses have been committed and they will now be charged uh, against the president and that will end his time in office. I think what I thought was that it was extremely important that the facts be assembled as to what had gone on here and that those facts would be would be damning. Um, now, I guess the question then is like, well, what does damning mean? But let's let's remind ourselves here that Donald Trump and co, for want of a less informal phrase, have lied through their teeth at every part of this story. First of all, it was absolutely relentless denial that the Russian operation had even happened. There had been no Russian interference at all. How they would know that, I have no idea. But in the face of 17 intelligence agencies all signing on the line to say this happened, Donald Trump has been constantly denying it. Now this report that he is going to be referring to quite regularly, I would imagine, claiming it exonerates him and therefore to which he attaches some credibility, is going to detail painstakingly the reality of that Russian operation. So that's one thing. Secondly, they denied up and down constantly, incessantly, that there had been any contacts of any kind between people associated with the Trump campaign uh, and any Russians of any kind. Now, 
like, okay, uh, in that quotation from Robert Mueller, there are like some moving parts. Okay, who is the Russian government? Like, you know, are you talking about like did did the did the the, the Russian intelligence services like send the head of human resources like over to to conduct these meetings, or did they find somebody maybe who is like off book to do it, as one would expect? And also the uh, uh, members of the Trump campaign. Right. So like that means people who do not hold an official job at the time in the Trump campaign could also be like questionably out of category. So not only is it the legal bar of conspiracy uh, uh, and coordination, but it's also like a question of, well, you know, you could theoretically have people who are associated with but not working for the Trump campaign, meeting people who are associated with but not working for the Russian intelligence services, engaging in interactions that fall below the legal threshold for conspiracy. And like that could still be in this report. Mm-hmm. Um but there have been like details up and down throughout the continuous rolling reporting about contacts of exactly that kind, and that that is like very important, and they denied it. Um, and so, like, it may well be like the thing that's being really strongly played up here is that the finding of the investigation ultimately is that whatever contacts there have been, whatever coordination there may have been does not rise to the level of a crime, or at least not a provable crime. It may not be illegal. And, like, maybe so. Robert Mueller knows what he's talking about in those matters, so I'm far. I'm not going to second-guess him about that. And I think if the report comes out and, like, amateur sleuths on Twitter start arguing the toss with Robert Mueller about what it is and isn't a prosecutable offense, I will be very skeptical about those people. But things that aren't illegal, or at least that don't, like, guarantee you a conviction, can still be really, really, really bad. You know, while I don't think in, like, an across-the-board way we want to create a prosecutorial and legal environment where, like, fishing expeditions into the totality of everybody's behavior can take place open-endedly and you just, like, run with whatever you find. I think in the case of the President of the United States, uh, one can afford to be a little bit um, more inquisitive when when it comes to this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So my point would simply be this. Even if it is the case that nothing has been found that proves to the level required that the president has committed criminal offenses, I suspect it may reveal that the president has done a bunch of totally indefensible things. Like if, you know, if the president has to pick one example, if his son and others on his campaign have been contacted by people who any common sense assessment would say are acting on behalf of Russian intelligence and told we have dirt on your election campaign opponent um, and you know we would like to come and give that to you. Any normal politician, any patriotic actor, anyone with the sense they were born with and a moral bone in their body would say – no, thank you very much, and then contact law enforcement about the fact that this had happened. They would not go, if it's what you say it is, that's great. Let's have a meeting in Trump Tower and discuss all this. And their only defense down the line is, well, like we took the meeting thinking that there would be dirt, but it turned out there wasn't any, so obviously it can't have been a conspiracy. Like if you turned up to meet someone who like was offering to sell the stolen goods from a burglary, and then by the, when you met them, it turned out that, you know they hadn't got them on them. So, so clearly this is, this is a waste. You know, so there's stuff like that where if President Trump and his campaign knowingly engaged in any dialogue with foreign intelligence about getting information that would be helpful to their campaign. Manafort was reported to have shared sensitive internal polling data with a cutout for Russian intelligence that is suggestive of efforts to coordinate. Even if that's not illegal, 
It's really, really, really bad behavior, and I think it's important for this report to create a factual record of the fact that it happened. Because if Mueller, one of the accusations is that this has all been a waste of time, you know, because if it ends yeah. in no criminal charges, we might as just we might as well just have saved the money and not done it. But if there had not been this investigation, Trump would still be denying the Russian operation ever happened. Trump would still be denying that ever been any contacts of any kind with Russians. Nobody would ever know the nature of those contacts and what they were, and even. Even if no one's going to jail over it, or at least no one who isn't already going to jail, it just could not be more important than that the country can see the facts of what happened and make a judgment politically, morally, and socially about them uh, quite separate from any prosecutorial decision. I mean, let's put this all together in just a couple minutes to establish why you're so passionate and absolutely correct about that, and also why Mueller may not have pushed this to the level of the criminal. And that is, it is a matter of you know what we you know already know uh, in terms of public statements, public documents that in the midst of the 2015 2016 campaign, that on the business side, uh, the Trump Organization was pursuing a Trump Tower in Moscow, mm-hmm. and that they were dealing with the Russians and indeed had contacted uh, the Kremlin in regard to that project. We know that uh, the reminder you said that the FBI, in a sense, had opened up the investigation because of uh, the Russian hacking, which is correct. But remember that it was also linked to the Trump campaign at that point in summer 2016 because of an advisor named Carter Page Mm -hmm. who had been under suspicion of being recruited to be a Russian agent who indeed had been in Moscow in July 2016. And that was why the FBI obtained its initial surveillance warrants um, to monitor Page. Yeah, you, anyone that wants to know more about this, go back and listen to our release what memo edition where we, we discuss this in some depth. Absolutely. But when they open up the investigation on page, it leads to identifying other advisors. Uh, George Papadopoulos in March of 2016, who comes up with the idea, let's get Trump and Putin to meet together. Mm. He winds up meeting. And your point here is very important. He doesn't meet a Russian official. He meets a London academic who is con- who is connected to a Russian nominally academic, but someone who's connected with the Kremlin. Mm. They investigate George Papadopoulos and so on. That leads to a wider investigation of people like Paul Manafort. Well, who did Paul Manafort deal with? He dealt with Konstantin Kalemnik, who was mm-hmm. linked to Russian military. And we talked about that in a lot of depth in our, in our yeah. December uh, episode. Absolutely right. And then you bring in the fact that while the FBI is now investigating all these contacts, that you get one of Trump's close advisors, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, who in meetings with the Russian ambassador, um, well, what he actually did was... Well, in telecommunications with him, at least. Telecommunications. Which is where he got into trouble. It's where he got in trouble because he actually starts talking about before the Trump administration takes office, removing sanctions. Mm -hmm. But he lies about those meetings. So in other words, we know, and we know, just to refer to the key thing here, we know that when three Russians uh, use a broker, again, you don't use the Kremlin, you use a broker, a British entertainment agent, to propose the meeting with Donald Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. They proposed the meeting in New York specifically about material that would damage Hillary Clinton. We know that Donald Trump Jr.'s reaction was three words, I love it. But because they are not Kremlin officials and because we don't have anything on paper in terms of the outcome of that meeting, even though Donald Trump then welcomes the Russian hacking of the emails, Mm -hmm. even though Roger Stone is then in contact with WikiLeaks about dumping material, Mm -hmm. Then Mueller says, all right, you make the call. 
You make the call in terms of whether this goes criminal. But remember also that we come back to, and I don't want to drag it down too long, but just to remind the listeners that when Donald Trump fires FBI Director James Comey, Trump does say that is to halt the investigation. He goes on Lester Holt's uh, news show and says, yeah, and says it out loud, which is part of why I think this is, this is one of the things that Mueller will have engaged with in his no. uh, listing of the difficulties of a conspiracy prosecution and or an obstruction prosecution that Trump did like so many outrageous things in public. Like he says, what like one of the pieces of evidence suggestive of obstruction is that he says on television he fired Comey because he thought the Russian thing, the Russia thing was fake news and he should get rid of it. One of the ways in which he interacted with the uh, the issue of Russian email hacking was to say, Russia, if you're listening, like, please hack, uh, you know, please, uh, like, you know, go to it, like, find the missing email supposedly from Hillary Clinton. So the question is, well, if, if someone is doing something that publicly, can it be a a conspiracy? Because it's a little bit like, and this is partly about the structure of how the story is broken as well. Like the reason why Watergate ended up being Watergate was because in some ways, because Nixon was so much better at picking a story, sticking to it, having having a kind of wall around the necessary facts mm. to accuse him of having done anything wrong, and then gradually over time, mm. like first through people and then through the White House tapes, that wall was eroded until eventually the evidence was revealed that said he had done this. If he had just like on day one, uh, like gone out on national television and like explained that he had done these things for the motives that in fact motivated him, then I feel like like maybe William Barr would be happily like would would have happily written a memo saying that there was no case to answer. Yeah. So kind of in a way we've known so much from relatively early on, partly from the president's own mouth, that it just doesn't fit the structure we associate with political scandal and conspiracy. Because our feeling is well if this is so wrong, like surely this dimwit shouldn't be saying out loud that this is what he was thinking and this is what he did. And in a weird way, it's like Trump's superpower is his inability to know what he shouldn't say because that means that when he says ludicrously self-incriminating things, like once everyone's had the chance to digest them, you're like, well, it just you almost reverse engineer the fact that he can't, that it can't be criminal from the fact that no one would do that if, it, so were, if it were. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy who the day after he fired Jim Comey goes in front of the Russian foreign minister, the Russian ambassador, and brags about it, saying, I got rid of that crazy Right. It's, the classic, it's you know, the classic trope these days that, you know, uh, the various things keep happening in reality where if you wrote them, like, and in, in like, a draft screenplay and took it to an editor, you would be, um, like, told to get out of their office because yeah, this yeah. was not tenable. I think here, Adam, this brings up a key thing, again, specifically in Barr's political cover for Trump which is how he justified quashing the obstruction of justice charge. And in fact, what he does, I actually think he's, he's legally incorrect. Now I'll, I'll wait for the lawyers to jump in on this because <laughs> you'll, what, you'll wait for people who are lawyers to, to, to express an opinion well, on that. Here's, here's where Barr says, Barr doesn't say, oh, I'm quashing this because no obstruction of justice took place in the sense uh, that there wasn't an attempt by Trump, either in the open or secretly, to try to uh, stop the investigation. What Barr says is, oh, because I have found, because I have found that there is not conspiracy, 
Mm. Therefore, there is no crime which could be obstructed. But that is not obstruction of justice in terms of my understanding of the law. Obstruction of justice is not obstructing basically an investigation where a crime is clearly established. It's obstructing an investigation which is trying to establish well, well, if right. a crime well, had well, been Well, I mean, because that's what you'd hope most investigations are. And, you know, whatever one – setting aside the question of whether or not Donald Trump has done anything wrong in this specific case or whether the argument is good in this specific case, the reasoning that says you cannot charge obstruction of justice unless the underlying crime uh, is also proven – is just catastrophic from from a criminal justice perspective because if you have a bunch of documents that prove a crime was committed and you have a bunch of witnesses that say a crime was committed and you like accept that reasoning like you, and you and you're the part the party being investigated well you should just obviously like have a bonfire of documents and have a festival of witness intimidation and then the logic will be well that that you can't have done anything wrong because the whole point of obstructing justice is to destroy evidence and uh, uh, eliminate testimony that will make it possible to prove that you committed the crime. That's why it's a separate crime. Okay. If the only time anyone was ever charged with obstruction of justice was when they were simultaneously being convicted of the crime itself, it probably wouldn't be worth it because you'd be convicting everybody of all the things they did. It exists as a way of getting at people who you know damn well did something but who successfully but not quite successfully enough managed to cover up uh, uh, the fact that they did it. To give an example, it's quite – Roger Stone the informal Trump advisor that we referred to, is one of the charges he faces is obstruction of justice. Now, Roger Stone is not facing that crime because we have proven a conspiracy between Russia and the Trump campaign. He is facing that charge because he allegedly was in contact with someone to hide emails or to distort testimony that may or may not have pointed to the conspiracy. You know, so, so Barr's – and it's interesting that apart from very good people like Benjamin Wittes and Renato Mariotti, you know, great people to follow on Twitter who go into the legal detail on this, the media missed it. The media just simply misses the way that you try to make all of this go away. Mm. I think, I mean, part of the problem is that, you know, riding hard in defense of Trump uh, has been – the conservative media system, and I don't just mean mm. like trashy loudmouths who don't know the us from their elbow about legal matters like uh, Sean Hannity or whatever, but like quite serious people too who, you know, in good faith want to make the argument that this was all overhyped, that uh, that now that it's over, we should all be ashamed of ourselves for having uh, given it so much attention, etc. And who want to argue that it's in retrospect highly understandable that President Trump should have been so like infuriated and have lashed out so much and, and so on. And I kind of feel like they keep defending this hypothetical other Trump who exists in a parallel universe who like has not done anything wrong and who expresses himself in in these measured terms because you know this is like really unfortunate for the office of the presidency and uh, I really hope that ultimately I am found innocent and that we can all go back about our business but instead Trump is constantly on television first of all 
lying, constantly, verifiably lying. Secondly, viciously, personally attacking people uh, uh, up and down in the media, in the opposition party, in his own party, threatening people with uh, uh, like that, that he's going to start criminal investigations against them because they're his enemies, saying that investigations into people who are his friends should be shut down, um, talking about censoring the press and punishing them for critical coverage. Like this guy who, I feel like, there are some important principles about innocence and guilt and taking a measured approach to them, absolutely granted, stipulated. But a lot of Republicans and conservatives, I think, are performing a lot of gymnastics to not look in the face the central plain fact that this man is not fit to be the president. And he's not fit to be the president partly because he's a, a, an authoritarian and partly because he's a crook. Um and it's not that, you know, it, it is absolutely not, and I will say this like a hundred times over, there are hundreds of ideologically conservative, culturally conservative Republicans who I would cheerfully uh, see occupy the office of the presidency out of my respect for the importance of pluralism and democracy and political competition. It's not about that. He can like detain asylum seekers in camps like all the way along the southern border and it would not touch for a moment in my eyes on the question of whether or not he is fit to occupy the office of the presidency. It's not a political thing. It's that he's a crook <laughs> and he's an authoritarian. And if you're not grappling with that and the fact that this report, which must be published, is going to detail a bunch of, whether illegal or not, utterly shameful behavior, then I really think that you've got to take a good look at yourself and ask, why am I, why am I doing all this water carrying to try and provide, like, to try and make the fact that the president hasn't committed a prison-worthy crime sound like the president's been vindicated and everyone who has, who has, who has listed these things is wrong. Because one last thing before I pass the ball back to you. I think the implication is that like, that the media has gravely misreported this whole thing because the outcome is, is, is this finding. Now, I will perfectly readily believe that like Rachel Maddow or some CNN like talking head or like the twit Louise Mensch on Twitter mm -hmm. has like come out with nonsense that vastly outruns the facts and that is indefensible probably at the time never mind in retrospect but much of what we're talking about the New York Times the Washington Post etc reporting in real time strikes me as highly likely to be replicated in the narrative of what happened in the Mueller report. So it's only the question of whether or not this is going to end in a criminal charge that's actually up for grabs. The factual narrative of this huge network of bad behavior may well be totally vindicated. So retrospectively saying the Washington Post should never have bothered looking into any of this, uh, again, seems as, as mad to me as saying that Mueller never should have investigated it, uh, from his side. Yeah, but there's two reasons why the Trump camp and codependent Republicans won't or even can't put their hands up. The first is, just to slightly correct your introduction, because this isn't over with the Mueller report. I mean, the Mueller report has been submitted for consideration, and that consideration is supposed to take place, for example, in Congress. And so we now have the battle over whether the Mueller report is going to be seen, mm -hmm. and if so, whether it's going to be seen in full. Now, the 
Republicans in the Trump camp, I think, know, as you have indicated, there's quite likely to be a lot of very damaging information that does portray Trump and his advisors in a negative light. And we happen to now be in the re-election campaign for 2020. So even though I think we can agree that we don't think this leads to criminal charges, at least from Mueller, it could lead to federal and state charges, but that's a different Well, question. like they've pried open Trump org's finances and mm. the behavior of a bunch of others in ways that might come back to get them later. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a little reluctant to pivot to that the, the way some Democrats have immediately because yeah. I think it's worth like – it would be, it's worth looking directly at this investigation and to the extent that anything was done wrong there, one holds one hands up and to the extent that it wasn't, one leg like, still makes something yeah. of it. But, but your point is well taken. Yeah, so that's like, the, the – and, and Robert Mueller's own grand jury is still open, we've, we've exactly. been told, and things could come from that. Who knows? So the first point is I think we agree and I think we agree that I got it wrong, that I thought Trump would resign. Well, that's, that's – well, where is the clock on that now? Because you were originally saying you wouldn't make it out of 2018, I think. I didn't think he'd make it out and of – now, now, now uh, no, I don't think – Do you I think he's going to make it out of 2019? No, he, no he, he, he makes it to the end of the first term because I don't think we – we now know impeachment is really off the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the way that the process now focuses is more getting this material out of the open, both – as you know, because there should be a transparency here, mm-hmm. but also because politically the Democrats will want as much of the information to be out there because it probably will dent Trump's uh, false narrative. But the second point here about why the Republicans will not really call for what is necessary for the American system is because we're in a strange phase now, which is that Trump and his inner circle are gaming the system at the same time that they're trying to undermine it. And this is the wider point that will go beyond a Donald Trump. They have effectively tried to undermine the justice system, uh, the courts, the FBI, the Justice Department. Uh, They have tried to uh, effectively neuter Congress. They have tried to use the word authoritarian. And while I'm always careful using that word, they have tried to move it to this point where all power resides with them in terms of what happens next. And Republicans in the Senate and the House, for the most part, some have not, but for the most part, have gone along with this. And we can ask about their motives, whether it's personal political motives, whether they feel they don't have alternatives, uh, whether they're scared to death about the Trump base or the so-called Trump base. But they are complicit in undermining the system. And there certainly is not profiles and courage, too, waiting to be written out of this Republican caucus. No, absolutely. And, and again, let's just give one very key point, just to put it to this and say, if this report exonerated Donald Trump, if it is as William Barr portrays it in his spin, if it's as Donald Trump portrays it, why did the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, immediately, immediately quash a resolution in the Senate which says that the report should be public. Mm. If you were exonerated, surely the first thing you would want to happen. Which, which like gives you a, an interesting insight into the internal dynamics of the Republican Party, because you have could, because again, because Donald Trump just has this hazy relationship with the facts, which like, sometimes is to his advantage, because clearly he's to some degree psychologically bulletproof. Like he doesn't experience the stress that liars often do, because they're trying to like make sure that the lies they know are lies don't get found out. But he also kind of have a downside, because like he's totally convinced he did absolutely nothing wrong. So he's like very now that he like has been told that the report exonerates him, or at least that's what he's chosen to hear. He's like, yeah. 
yeah, we should publish the report, like have it out there, because he's not capable of of like thinking this through. Whereas Mitch McConnell is immediately like, I don't think you've really thought that through. I, I think like I, I I think like we're in a beautiful sweet spot right now where the conclusions of the report framed carefully make it sound like everything's great, but this document actually being like published in full might make things look a lot less good. So so he's having to like protect Trump from himself, even as Trump is not going to show any gratitude and will probably like make that more difficult with every with every day because he just so that it's that idea of like smart, calculating, risk averse, um, lifelong Republican operators who know what they're doing, just devoting themselves to being like bodyguards for this idiot man child who's constantly um, either either committing uh, uh, right up to the line borderline criminal offenses and or saying things that anyone else would be ended by politically. They just devote themselves to intercepting the consequences before they can hit him. Because beyond, behind the triumphalism of, of Trump and the inner circle, they're nervous. Well, the last thing they want is him getting a boost of confidence, and he's like, "Yeah, I guess I, I guess I was just playing it too safe up to <laughs> yeah, now. Exactly. I, I should really like Trump unleashed for the, yeah. for the rest of this term." Yeah, I mean, and there's a side issue. I mean, I, and I, it's not what we're talking about. I mean, the first thing that Trump and his his hardline advisors do say, oh, "Okay, let's let's go out and destroy Obamacare once and for all," when in fact that's probably given the Democrats a gift for 2020. But in, back on the investigation. There's already a couple of chinks in the defense. I mean, one is is that Adam Schiff, who was a smart guy, the Democratic chair of the House Intelligence Committee, he went back out on Sunday and said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm very much still, you know, confident that there was collusion." And Adam Schiff's seen a lot of classified again, material. Not, not, not a legal term because legal. it's perfectly possible that this thing will all get published. And at a minimum, the two sides can look at the facts and go, well, here's what the dictionary says collusion <laughs> means. That sounds an awful lot like it to me. And as you have rightly pointed out, like it's it, this is not a crime. And, you know, uh, maybe it is not for the criminal justice system ultimately to litigate this stuff. Maybe it's for the political system it to say, be. look, this is some shameful stuff. And here is the detail of it. And you, you, you should be ashamed of yourself. And all of you all who are playing bodyguards for him should be ashamed that you're pretending to think this is fine because you absolutely know in your heart it isn't. You absolutely know. In other words, the Mueller report now enters the realm of the political battle, you know, whereas the legal battles happen with federal and state cases about Trump's finances. In that political battle... The other chink that has occurred, and it almost went unnoticed, is that Jim Comey has come out and made a statement. And Comey came out and said he's very, very surprised that Robert Mueller did not find obstruction of justice. Hmm. Uh, Jim Comey knows Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller was Jim Comey's predecessor at the FBI. This is now speculation. I will flag it up as such. And that is, has Mueller or someone around him had words with Comey. Well, now you're getting a bit Trumpy because because the Trump people always used to claim that the two of them were like thick as thieves and constantly interacting, whereas but, the reality is probably that I think Comey said that like they'd had dinner maybe like three times over the course of a multi-year career. They have common fronts. So, for example, before Jim Comey went on record about what exactly had happened to him, you may remember that he operated through Ben Wittes, mm-hmm. right, who put out some of this information. I am saying this because... If Barr has misrepresented the Mueller report, if Trump is making false claims, 
My question would be how long would Robert Mueller and his team sit back if they feel that the truth, i.e. their report, is not going to make the light of day? I don't say that as part of a deep state conspiracy to get rid of Donald Trump. Just simply, if you have spent 22 months Mm. to put all this together and then you see the prospect that it will not appear or that it will be completely spun beyond recognition. Yeah, you you know, and and then there's the question of whether or not the public will still care. So the last thing I want to say is like one of the takes on this has been that it could be good for Democrats, uh, this in a bass-ackwards sort of way, because it's been very clear for quite a long time that the public do not like hugely care about this, like their views Mm. on the rights and wrongs of it move around, but it's not a top-rank issue. It kind of works in the Democrats' favor so long as it seems haze, like so as long as it seems ambiently true that Trump is a crook and did something wrong. That's good. But if you start like having an impeachment proceeding and trying to overturn, in effect, the last election, then it starts to look less good for Democrats. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a 2020 campaign that's deep in the weeds of the rights and wrongs of impeachment and Russia and interference is probably not actually that good. That you know. As Nancy Pelosi would claim, she demonstrated with Democratic messaging in 2018 midterms, and as she would like to replicate again, the public cares way more about you know the regressive tax cuts that Donald Trump has helped put through in Congress, uh, the efforts they're making to abolish uh, Obamacare without any kind mm-hmm. of responsible replacement, the corruption that has run rife through uh, through Washington despite Donald Trump's pledges to drain the swamp, etc. That in a way, like having the wind taken out of the sails of the impeach now caucus uh, has probably in the long run done Democrats a favor because the the presidential candidates can get away from this thing without having to. Now, so on the one hand, I think that that may have quite a lot to recommend it politically. But on the other hand, I do, I have a concern about equating like things that it is worth doing or standing up for or investigating and what the public cares about because i feel like most of the time like the public very understandably and reliably will care more about you know their own living standards and healthcare and education and things that concretely materially affect them more than like more than anything but like you could only take that logic so far. Like if someone was going, you know, if you were going, you could perfectly plausibly just have an outright dictator who throws all of his enemies in jail and then creates an awesome healthcare system and raises the standard of living of the people who live in the country. But like I think most of us would agree that would be terrible. So like there are issues that arise to do with maintaining important norms in public life about the the limits of power, about the function of institutions, about law, about the law and how no one is above the law and by necessity because they'll never be priority number one because you'll never get voters foaming at the mouth in like 51 percent majorities about it it's an elite level like it's a social elite project it has to be to pay attention to these things and to uh, to try and uphold them so i feel like this is one of those things where the political system just clearly has to walk and chew gum at the same time like democrats have to see clearly that seeming like russia obsessives and trying to make the 2020 election all about this would be a terrible idea it's not priority number one for the public talk about the, the bread and butter issues but 
also like this is hugely problematic behavior on the part of on the part of these people and if there is no accountability for it then it's only going to escalate because like what about the behavior of Donald Trump or anyone who works for him tells you that if unchecked they are like their reaction to a close shave legally speaking is going to be well I, I guess we really sailed a bit too close to the line there we really need to like watch ourselves and behave more appropriately in the future You've, you've just got to have people at some degree of a, a, a you, know, a, you know, elite is a dirty word, but people who have the time that the public doesn't to pay attention to this stuff and do something about it need to keep, keep uh, their shoulder to the wheel on this stuff. Because waving it away is pointless simply because it's always going to be relatively down the league table. It just seems hugely damaging to the prospects of a functional polity, I think. Look, I, I, I fully agree. Um... I I don't even really want to go down the path of whether it's a win for the Democrats. You know, we can accept that 2020 should be on all those key issues you talk about. Uh, but the fundamental here, which is beyond the 2020 election, it's even beyond Donald Trump, is that a, a foreign power, um, in this case Russia, interfered in a U.S. presidential election with the attempt to change the outcome of that election – and that at a minimum, at a minimum, that foreign power tried, contacted and tried to work with the campaign that it was assisting. And that at a minimum, that campaign had an overlap of business and political interest, which may have made it amenable. Yeah, and, that. That, and, and, the, and the absolute best argument is that like our campaign was like – a, a too chaotic, a shoestring operation mm. run by dumb amateurs to understand what was happening mm. and to take advantage of it. But we totally would have if only we had gotten our act together. Yeah. Like that's that's their best defense. Yeah. And that's like that's a really grimly uh, yeah. base place for them to be. You know, if you do not present this report, let this report be considered, let it be evaluated by uh, branches of the U.S. government in this case Congress, if necessary by the courts. If you don't do that, then that foreign power has gotten away with that interference in your system. That campaign, if it was in any contact with the foreign power, has gotten away with this. And that's just the start of it because having gotten away with this, uh, the beneficiaries of this will now use the outcome to try to tear away at the media, try to tear away at their political opponents and try to tear away at agencies. Mm -hmm. So let me just refer you back to one quote to close on this, and that is there was a guy named Steve Bannon who eventually became campaign manager in the Trump campaign, was White House chief strategist. And as soon as the report came out this weekend, uh, Steve Bannon, who still is in very close contact with Trump's folks, said, all right, now you need to go animal. You need to go animal on the media to prevent them from ever being able to question you again. You need to go animal on the Democrats. You need to go animal even on opponents within your own system because as Bannon has let it be known when he advised Trump, you tear down the system so that it cannot oppose you and then you build it back the way that you want to do it. And that is even beyond the election. That is the overarching attempt of some of Trump's advisors. If they bury the Mueller report, they win. Yeah, because I mean, to, to conclude my own thoughts on this, you know, I don't, you know, in case, case Glenn Greenwald or someone is listening, like, I, I don't think that it is, you know, 
a sign that Russia is some kind of exceptionally dangerous or immoral power that it would attempt to do this thing. Uh, I don't think it's a sign that American society is on the precipice of destruction in the face of this threat that they that they were capable of like mocking up some trashy Twitter memes and like stoking some dissension. Like my my take on all this would be it is suboptimal and deserves a response that Russia would do what it did in 2016, that in any normally functioning environment where the Democrat or the Republican had won, the response by both parties would have been that was really unacceptable. Now let's all sit together, work out what happened and then think about a rational response. The, the the problem is that the guy who benefited from it, Donald Trump, will not accept that something has happened here that is wrong. The reason he won't accept it is because he is so driven by his own ego that the suggestion that he was mm. even marginally eroded in his legitimacy by this is is wrong, or that anything he might have done in the past was like a moral lapse or failing. It is the failure of one presidential campaign to reject this kind of assistance and then to contribute fully to establishing Establishing the facts and trying to prevent it from happening again, and then the sort of spread of that denialism through the party that he's captured—that is the problem. Like Russia's going to Russia, yeah. <laughs> like, and and you know, I'm not going to say more power to them, but like that's just the nature of international relations. Right. It's the collaboration whether illegal or not, of actors within the American system with that that is the disturbing thing. And holding that up to the sun, to the disinfectant of sunlight is what's really important. Yeah, and let's just give this a sting in the tail before you. And when you talk about that collaboration, there are two levels of collaboration. There's a collaboration which took place between those around Donald Trump and the Russians at the time. And there is now a collaboration between Trump and those around him and nominally those who supposedly – say that the American system must be safeguarded against this and that the flaws of the American system must be corrected, which is why people like Glenn Greenwald, people like Aaron Bastani at The Nation, people like Max Blumenthal, who have been all over social media the past 72 hours, saying, oh, this just proves that Russiagate was a hoax. This just proves that it was a deep state conspiracy. In other words, they now are accomplices. Indeed, they simply are megaphones for the language that Donald Trump uses. And that is perhaps a lesson which goes beyond right and left in terms of responsibility and accountability. Sure does. And we should have a whole episode about those guys someday, maybe. Um, I think we've set the world to rights. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow the Political Worldview podcast on Twitter at Poll Worldview, and please do. Please also subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes or Spotify. We're on all of those. And leave us a comment or a rating. That's really important. It helps other people find the podcast. I implore you, please, leave us a comment or a rating. Share us on social media. Tell people to listen to us if you enjoyed this show. That's how we get new people on board. You can come and like our show page on Facebook, Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash poll worldview, where you can get updates and reminders that new editions are out, uh, the occasional other article or, or link. Um, our participant today uh, has been my co-host, Scott Lucas. Where can people find you on social media, Scott? You can find me at Political Worldview's partner, the news and analysis website, EA Worldview at eaworldview.com, or come uh, give me a shout at Scott Lucas underscore on Twitter.
And I am Adam Quinn. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Adam James Quinn, but I don't use that much uh, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook and follow me there where I do a lot more business. I'm Adam Quinn 161 if you're counting or I'm the guy in the picture with the uh, U.S. Capitol building behind me uh, if you're doing it on a visual basis. Our producer is Connor McKenna and you have been listening to us from the Political Science International Studies Department at the University of Birmingham in England. Uh, thanks to the Pulsus Good Ideas Fund for their support. We are very grateful to them as always. We'll be back soon. We very much hope you will be too. Bye. Bye. Bye.